All right, good evening, church. You guys are probably surprised I'm here, but if you studied ahead, you're in good shape. We're not in Ephesians 5, but there's a strong cross-reference there. First Peter 3, also talking about marriage. Marriage is God's, God's way. So as you're turning there to First Peter 3, um, I thought about sharing a story for my marriage, but I thought better of it. So, um, Yeah, anyway, Lord willing, Eddie's going to continue Ephesians 5.22 on Sunday. Um, so it's not like he's just thrown me under the bus to be the guy who gets to preach submission within marriage. Um, though your prayer is appreciated as we get started here. So going into this, I'm, I'm aware that prayer is a, a sensitive subject, or not prayer, that marriage is a sensitive subject for many. <laughs> we'll see how it affects our prayer life too. But um, So God's heart, his design for marriage is exceedingly good. Um, but because we're broken, because we're, we're wretched sinners apart from his work in us, far too often we don't do marriage God's way. And because of that, when we don't follow his design for marriage, we, we get our marriages twisted up, we get turned around, we cause each other great hurt, great pain, hurt, and heartache. So I don't know where you guys all at are, are all at with your, with your marriages, but God does. And there's something in, in this text for, for each of us. Um, so let's, let's pay attention here. Um, Yeah, he, he loves us. He laid down his, his life to save, to, to redeem us eternally. And that's, that's the basis. That's, that's his heart when that we look at as we're going into this study, all right? It's, that's his heart. That's his desire for us. He's already put it all on the line for us. He's already paid the ultimate price for us. He's already suffered in the worst ways imaginable for us. Um, and it's all because he loves us so, so much. And so it's not because we have it all together, um, he, he demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we're still sinners, he, he died for us. Um, so no matter where we're at with our marriages, no matter how much we've messed up, he's, he's holding out his hand to us. He's saying, you can't make it on your own, so we, we shouldn't have to try to carry that heavy load on our own. He's going to strengthen us through it. So he's asking us to trust. He's asking us to surrender. He's asking us to let him lead us um, as our Lord. So as we study marriage his way, that's, that's the very first and most important decision that we need to make. We've got to trust him with our lives. We've got to trust him with our marriages, with our redemption, with our eternity. Um, because if he's not the bedrock foundation for, for our entire lives, our marriages aren't going to work out very well either. If we refuse and reject his grace and love, then it, it's going to all be on us. We're not going to have, have his help in that because we're, we're rebelling against him, right? So... But if we love him as Lord, um, he's going to redeem all for our good. That's his heart for us. That's his heart going into this study in, in marriage and life um, that would be like him, s sanctified and spotless. So this, this is the truth, realizing as, as we're going into this study in marriage, um, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. And so this is, this is his truth. This is a promise for all things, including our marriages, no matter how, how hard it may get. Um, if we love him, he's going to work things for our good. And we're going to see that it's not always our, our ease, but it's for our good, um, to be more like him, more loving, more righteous, more content, even through suffering, even through hard marriages. And this is the, the background. This is the context leading up to God's to marriage God's way in First Peter 3, because um, marriage his way is for our good. It's, it's that we would be more Christ-like. And that's exactly how First Peter 2 ends, that we should be like him through suffering, through submission, through both good and bad, following in his footsteps. Um, turn back just a little bit to First Peter 2, 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So again, no matter where you're at in your marriage this season, God has wisdom for us. In, in this text, in, in Ephesians, as Eddie teaches us on Sunday, Lord willing, if you're single, I, I pray that God would lead you into marriage his way. If you're, if you're married, whether it's for better or worse, I, I hope that God's going to encourage you and instruct tonight. Um, l listen to him. Let him challenge you. Let him strengthen you through struggles, through hardships. And if your marriage is great, great. <laughs> Um, applies instruction, make it even better, right? 
If your marriage is broken beyond repair, um, let God comfort. Let him heal. Let him lead you hand in hand. Let him hold you close. Let him minister to you and heal your broken heart. And if you're called to be single, then you can go home now. Um, if you're called to be single, apply all of this to your relationship with Jesus, right, as his bride. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's, let me pray for us, and we'll get into today's text. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds by your spirit to receive the truth, that you'd point out um, just the pertinent truths that apply directly to where we are today, Lord, that you'd prick us, that you'd show us, that you would um, convict us if necessary, Lord, that you'd point us in the right direction and get us on track, Lord, to do marriage your way, Lord. And I, I pray for healing tonight. I pray um, that you just go before us and guide us into truth by your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is marriage God's way. This is God's heart for your marriage. Um, it's his direction to us. It's his design. It's his model um, for the relationship, for the covenant. Yes, even the, the bond that he's established and ordained. So here we go. <laughs> All right, verse one. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. All right, ladies, before you go off on me, this is, I'm, we're getting started here because Peter starts right here. He jumps right into the fray, right into the thick of it. Our first topic is wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. So wives, a, a commitment to marriage God's way means submitting to your husband. Um, and submission's a hot button topic. I, I wanna look at verse one in context here um, to make sure that we understand. Peter says, likewise, be submissive. Likewise to what? To, to the principles of 1 Peter 2 that I just went over, but if you, if you turn back just a second to 1 Peter 2, 13, it shows us that submission in marriage is to be as to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Verse 13, um, so 1 Peter 2, 13, Therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Does that sound any better, ladies? Just as God, godly authority is sent by God to rightly suppress evil and promote good, um, a good godly husband should do the same, right? We should rightly lead our wives in godliness. That's, that's our call. That's what we're called to do. A godly husband should lead by example. His aim should be to be godly, to be like Jesus, correcting evil doing, wrong and sin, and praising and encouraging practices that please God. A godly husband isn't supposed to be an overbearing tyrant. He's not supposed to be, you know, someone who's just like telling you this is the way it's got to be. He's supposed to be a servant leader. Um, just as Jesus is Lord, right? He's Lord. He's absolute authority, but he still washed the disciples' feet. He served in the lowliest ways. He's our ultimate example in, in marriage. Marriage God's, marriage God's way should be like living in a peaceful, just, safe society, rightly ruled by good godly authority. That's, that's what we're called to do as husbands. As a godly marriage should rightly silence the ignorant ideas of those who misunderstand the concept of submission as well. Um, sometimes they may even criticize God in, in this day and age um, by taking this, this direction, this, this verse, this command out of context. So I want to be clear here. This verse doesn't give ignorant, foolish men the, the right to be overbearing tyrants. Just as with every ordinance of man, Marriage submission is to godly authority first, subject to God's law and authority first. So if he tells you to sin, you're not to submit and sin. Um, it's even subject to man's law and authority under God so long as his authority or man's authority is not against God. It's also not submission to abuse. Godly appointed authority should rightly punish evildoers and abuse is definitely evil. So wives, you're not, you're not to submit to abuse. You're supposed to bring God-ordained earthly authorities to bear, if that's the situation that you're facing, to allow God to work through the laws and consequences that he ordains for, for abuse on earth. But within the confines of God's law, within his appointed authority, we, we women, wives are to submit, man, I'm um, understand that, that willing submission to your husband doesn't supersede submission to God, right? Or even to, to godly earthly authority. Because if any authority is in direct opposition to God, 
where to obey God first. Um, Nick Traveri has, has a good diagram and hopefully it will, yeah, anyway. All right, so back to verse one, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. So we're seeing the context here, right? Submit to husbands as to the laws of men, um, but some of us don't submit very well to the laws of men either, right? Yeah, because we don't like laws. We don't like people telling us what to do. So what does it mean to be submissive? It, it means to lay down our will and do another's will. It means to come under their care, their covering, their direction, their authority, under their protection and instruction, to obey even when we don't agree. So are you resistant to, are you even opposed to the idea of submitting to anyone? That's where we gotta start. Remember that this is the inspired word of God. So despite what some may say today, these aren't antiquated or outdated cultural customs. This is God's design for marriage. This is what his word is saying. It's marriage his way, it's his will, it's his direction for wholehearted submission. Ephesians 5.22 that Lord willing will study on Sunday tells us wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So it's to be not only to as to the earthly authorities, but as to the Lord, as to God. Are we to submit to the Lord only when he's within earshot or half-heartedly or suspiciously? No, our submission is to be loving and trusting and complete and wholehearted. So honestly consider how well are you submitting to, to God right now as Lord, to his way. Deuteronomy 11.1, 1, therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. How can we submit, how can you submit in marriage as to the Lord if you aren't even submitted to God at all? So to do marriage God's way, you first have to learn to trust him, to rely on him, to submit to his will, his good plan, and yes, even his commands for your life. Submission within marriage begins with trusting and submitting to the Lord, to trusting what he, that he loves you, trusting his, that his will for your marriage is good. If you can't submit to God, what makes you think you're going to do any better with a mere man, right? So if you're married or you're called to be married, trust God's command, his way, his design. And whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're married or not, we, we all ought to fully pursue and serve Christ submitted to him as Lord. And especially for those who, who are called to be married but aren't married yet, a godly future or wife, future, sorry, a godly future husband or wife shouldn't choose you if you're not submitted to God. But who wouldn't want a fully Christ-like husband or wife who loves, who serves God all out? So if you're looking, look for the submitted obedient servant who consistently lays down their own will to embrace and live out God's will and plan and design and commands. So that's how we begin marriage God's way. Um, again, the first topic is wives, be submissive to your husband. So as to every earthly ordinance and also as to the Lord. All right, husbands, our turn. <laughs> uh, we're going to jump forward to verse 7. So 1 Peter 3, 7. We'll cover all the verses, but we're jumping around to try to give it some framework here. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So the likewise here is, is the same wording as with wives. So as to every ordinance of man, for the Lord's sake, so the same authority principle takes place. The second topic is husbands dwell with understanding, giving honor. So it's, it's straight from the text. Um, Husbands, we, we are to dwell together. Um, we're to live together. We're to be present and not absent. How can we honor our wives and dwell in understanding if we're not even home? If we're not ever there, if we're not ever present, how can we shelter? How can we protect? I know the, the strong desire and drive in a man to work and to provide no matter the cost. And there, there will be seasons, there may be seasons when you know, your work, your provision requires some temporary separation. But prayerfully consider and count the cost and beware of how much harm can come from a super extended time apart from your beloved. How much more weight does she have to carry as the weaker vessel when you're, when you're away from home, when you're not there to help? How much more danger and temptation are there for sin? Affairs don't happen when couples are dwelling together with understanding. They happen when people are, are apart, when they're alone. Sin seeks out opportunities during separation. 
when a wife isn't honored and a husband isn't leading and loving his submitted wife, that's, that's obviously not what God desires for marriages done his way. So if we're to make no provision for sin and take the way of escape, we've got to dwell together. We've got to be together. Likewise, for, for you singles, it's, it's hard to teach to a mixed crowd here, but um, watch out for the man who doesn't make time for you, right? For, or for God right now. Um, do you really think that things are going to change for the better once you get married? Not necessarily. If a man isn't committed to Christ and to you right now, then what are you even doing? God can redeem, he can change, but why choose a really hard path when you know that the guy that you're pursuing or the lady you're pursuing is living contrary to God's commands? Husbands are also to live in understanding. So looking, looking at the first part of verse seven here, husbands are to live in understanding, giving honor as to the weaker vessel. So this, this direction from God is not, it's not a diss to women. Um, Peter isn't calling women weak here. God is calling husbands to, to gently honor, um, as you would a, a cherished, treasured, and yet still fragile vessel. God designed women to be tender and, and maternal and sensitive. And guys, I mean, you, you know this to be true. How many times have you, like, do you, who cries more often, you or your wife? <laughs> right? Um, like, how often, though, are her tears your fault? Right? I mean, my wife says that she often cries for no reason, but... In, in, you ladies are like, yep. But really, how often are her tears my fault, right? How often have I said something wrong or done something wrong without living in understanding? How often have I not honored my wife as I should have, right? I've been harsh or insensitive or unloving instead of treasuring and cherishing and caring for her, guiding her according to, to Jesus' will with gentle truth and love. She's, she's not, your wives are not your servants. They're definitely not your slaves. Um, your wife is a gift from God to be treasured. She's your helpmate to be honored. And that's, that's the truth from our text here. Look at the end of verse seven. She's also a co-heir to God's same gift of grace. So while wives can still be almost as sinful as, and selfish as husbands are, um, I'm trying to earn some points here, right? <laughs> Um, we're, we're all forgiven by God, right? The same by grace through faith, if we believe upon him as Lord. So as a co-heir of God's grace, that means that your wife is God's daughter. So watch out, man. What would you do to the man who's mistreating your daughter way more than hinder his prayer life, right? God is the perfect father. He's going to deal with mistreatment within marriage. So who are we as husbands to withhold forgiveness or to constantly blame and berate? Paul makes a husband's calling crystal clear, and Christ is our ultimate example. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Wives are to submit, but husbands are to sacrificially love as Christ loves. And how well does Christ love? Perfectly, perfectly sacrificially, sparing nothing. Husbands, are, are you loving as Jesus loves? Realize that marriage is no small calling. It's, it's not a covenant to commit to lightly. When, when we choose our, our wife, we're, we're really not choosing someone to make us like happy or whole like the world says, like choose someone and then you'll live happily ever after. No, we're, we're choosing the one that we're committing to lay down our lives for as a daily living sacrifice, second only to Christ. That's what we're called to as husbands. So God's command to us is to love our wives as Jesus loves, and he loves perfectly. So if marriage is done God's way, when you think about it, a wife's submission as to Christ is as to Christ, because the husband is called to be Christ-like, right? Isn't it good to submit to the one who loves you sacrificially, selflessly? It should be a joyful submission, a submission that brings peace. If you know Jesus as Lord, you know his perfect love. You know his long-suffering. You know his sacrifice. You know that submission to him should be a wonderful, joyful, amazing thing. So when a wife looks at her godly husband, she should see Jesus shining through him. So husbands, if you were, if you were ribbing your wife a while ago about submission, now it's time to consider how we, how we measure up, how we compare to Christ, Right? And if you're anything like me, it's time to repent. It's time to ask for forgiveness, not in shame or despair, but 
with a firm resolve, with a genuine desire that we would be more Christ-like. So ask God to show you and change you by a spirit who dwells in you. Ask him to strengthen and shape and sanctify. Husbands, we, we mess up all the time, right? <laughs> um, but God is, he's more than able. If we'll ask him, if we'll let him, he's going to purify us. He's going to shape us. He's going to mold us. He's going to forge us and refine us and sharpen us by his spirit who dwells in us if he's our Lord. So let God make you the man and husband he wants you to be in the spirit, not in our flesh. Galatians 5, 19 through 23. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which of these do you want your marriage to look like? Which of these are we called to be in our marriage? Love like Christ, full of his spirit, as a husband whose will and desire are for the good of your wife. Give anything, lay down anything to provide, to protect, to serve, and to sanctify. That's who we're called to be as husbands. That's, that's marriage God's way. So let's, let's man up. Let's dwell with understanding, giving honor. All right, so, so far we've covered two topics. They were the hardest topics. Um, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Husbands, dwell with understanding, giving honor. And if you're thinking marriage seems super hard, Jesus' disciples agreed in Matthew 19.10. They said, his disciples said to him, as such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Well, it turns out it's, it's way better not to get married than to marry the wrong person. So we're going to look at three topics on, on how to choose a husband or wife or what to look for. And for those that are the majority in here who are already married, let's apply these to how to be a better husband, a better wife. So let's apply them. A special note here, like apply them to yourself. Don't use them to bludgeon your spouse. That's, that's a bad thing. I already made the mistake and Rebecca didn't respond well. All right. Verse, verse three. I'm going to keep digging here. It's good. All right. So first Peter three, verse three. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. So does Peter say, don't worry about your adornment at all? Don't care about what you look like? No, he says, don't let it merely be, only be, exclusively be outward. He doesn't say, don't do your hair. He doesn't say, don't wear jewelry or nice clothes. Um, the Bible says it's not just about cute clothing. It's not, about, not just about perfect hair. Um, appearance is important, right? You want, you want your wife or your husband, for that matter, to, to be extremely attractive to you, but it's not the most important thing. The, Peter goes on in verse 4. Rather, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So our third topic is have a beautiful heart. God inspired Peter to, to write the hidden, to write about the hidden person of the heart, about true beauty, because realistically everything else is going downhill. <laughs> Looks are going to degrade, right? I mean, not many of us are like getting better as we age, but Christ-like character is incorruptible. Yeah, I know. I'm really digging here. All right. For complaints, send them to Rebecca or save them up for Eddie on Sunday. All right, looks are going to degrade. Um, Christ-like character is incorruptible. Um, that's, that's what really matters the most in marriage. Our hearts, our, our spirit, are very precious in the sight of the Lord. That's what we read. Just as the Christ-like heart of your husband or your wife should be precious to you as well. And if you're still looking, um, don't be blinded by outward beauty, by hair, by jewelry, by clothes. Instead, look at what's truly precious according to God. Middle verse 4 tells us, gentleness, the quiet, calm peace modeled by many women of the word. Look also for the other fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We already covered the gentleness. Who cares how beautiful someone is if you can't stand being around them? Right? You know it's, it's truth. <laughs> Michelle's like cracking up up here. All right. Since we're examining ourselves, let's, let's give our hearts a beauty treatment, right? Scrub off some abrasiveness and abuse. Exfoliate some gentleness and kindness, right? Neutralize the never-ending nagging with quiet, peaceful <laughs> wisdom and encouragement. 
Proverbs 25, 24 tells us it's better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Don't look at me like this. It's from God. So let the spirit examine your heart and show you, are, are you ever contentious? Are you ever scolding or nagging or harping, quarreling, complaining? If so, then we should apply verse four. We should nourish, cultivate the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So next, Peter speaks of women of the word who trusted in God's design for marriage. Verse five, for in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So Peter here mentions Sarah in particular. It's because of her incredible beauty, right? No. She, she was very beautiful, but Peter says, be like Sarah in her submission to her husband Abraham as to the Lord. Um, like all of us, Sarah made mistakes. She's known especially for lying about her inward laughter. But in verses 5 and 6 here, Peter instead points out her submission. He points out her obedience within marriage. Listen to Genesis 18:12. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have the pleasure, my Lord being old also? Sarah wasn't calling God old here. She was, Abraham for her was the lowercase Lord and love of her life. Sarah was, was super beautiful on the outside, but consider her heart toward her husband. Because she submitted herself to go where Abraham went from Haran to Canaan, leaving everything they knew, and then on to Egypt. She trusted her husband to lead her, rather than giving in to fear or even terror. She submitted to Abraham's plan when he gave up the best of the land a lot, land that was lush and rich and fertile, like the garden of the Lord. And then she submitted again to Abraham when he gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything they had. That would be a pretty hard sell for some people to be like, oh, yeah, we're, we're moving, we're giving a tenth of everything away. And then after that, they accepted nothing that the king of Sodom offered them, not one thread. She trusted her husband to lead her. She honored him in her heart. And ladies, I know that this is dangerously similar to our first topic on submission, but as Peter points out, there's a subtle difference here. Peter's focusing on the heart behind Sarah's submission here. And she had a beautiful heart. She submitted in trust, in love, without second guessing, without reservation, without resentment. She trusted her husband to lead her. Listen to verse six again. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So Sarah did good by obeying her husband and not succumbing to fear and terror, not giving in. Did she have plenty of reasons to fear? She did. Not only has she left everything to travel through hostile foreign lands, she also wanted kids, she couldn't have them. Now miraculously, God gave Sarah children after she was 90, but she certainly had ample opportunity to fear, to doubt, to question. Our fourth topic is do good without fear. When you think about it, what good do fear and anxiety and even terror do for us? Nothing. When we're afraid, we, we hide, we run, we lash out. Sometimes we close up in silence or we harden, we wall up our hearts. We try to protect ourselves. And within marriage, the, the fear and terror that Peter addresses are a crippling poison. Wives especially, if your fear is stronger than your trust and confidence in God and in his leading and provision through your husband, it's not going to go well. It's going to sabotage your ability to work together, to do the good that God has prepared beforehand and set before you. So don't worry. Don't fret. Don't overthink. Don't overanalyze. Don't second guess. What should we do with fear and anxiety? It's a good verse to memorize. Give it to God. Bring it to him in prayer. Philippians 4, 6 or 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Kim has a song if you want to memorize that. It helps. All right. So when you're afraid, when you're anxious, pray. Or even better, pray together. 
Think about it. If everything, every fear you had, if you asked, if you begged, if you pleaded, if you requested, if you brought it to God together as a couple, how much better would things go? How much more would you be brought together instead of torn apart by your fears? And when you focus on God's greatness, your fears are going to be put in right perspective. So husbands, help your wives. Guard her heart, guard her mind, go to God together. When you hear her getting anxious or fearful, go to God in prayer together. The threefold cord of a husband and wife in close communion with Christ is, is strong. And when a husband and wife pray together consistently, bringing God every fear, every hope, every dream, they're going to do good together with Holy Spirit strength according to God's power and will. Ecclesiastes 4.12, though one may be overworked, overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So do good without fear. And guys, God forbid that we would ever be the terror that she fears or that she has to bring to the Lord. Because we're, we're called to love, we're called to serve sacrificially like our Savior, not be loud or scary or overbearing brutes. So do good without fear. My, my heart goes out to wives with husbands who, who won't do marriage God's way. Um, and God has some difficult direction here through Peter for wives walking this hard road. Going back to verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So if you only later realize that your husband isn't living well for the Lord, you're still to submit um, with a goal, with a hope, with an aim that you would win your husband to God by doing marriage God's way. God can use you to win over even a mean mate, even one who's in total disobedience to the word. So our fifth topic is challenge with chaste conduct. Chaste conduct here means being holy, being blameless, being innocent before God, not returning reviling for reviling or evil for evil, not not fighting against your mate, not fighting fire with fire, but fighting for them, praying for them, even while they're sinning. Just as Christ willingly suffered for our sake, not because he was weak, but because he willfully chose meekness so that he might win us, so that he might draw us with his loving kindness, so that we can see our sin for what it is and repent and receive grace. This is the same principle from 1 Peter 2, 18 through 19 and 21, if you want to turn back a page or two here. So 1 Peter 2, verse 18. And this, in this context, it's mean masters, but it applies to a mean mate as well. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. Verse 21 for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So there's hope even in hard marriages. Do good, have chaste conduct before God. It may involve suffering wrongly. It may involve even enduring grief, but God sees all of it. He knows all of it. And if we're to follow in Christ's example, he was willing to suffer. He was willing to die for our sake. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So this isn't an easy road, it's not an easy calling um, to be in a marriage such as this, but God is able to strengthen you through it. He's going to redeem even this hardship for your good to make you more like Jesus. And I pray that God's going to win over hard-hearted husbands as you do marriage God's way. Jesus loves them even more than you do, and he gave all so that they can be saved as well. So challenge with chaste conduct before God. Now, there's a, there's a truth here for those that aren't married yet as well. Don't choose someone who's disobedient to God. It's an extreme warning. It's, marriage is the second most important decision you're ever going to make. So pray. Seek wise, godly counsel. And then listen. Don't be blinded. Don't be fooled. Judge and pray and discern very carefully so that you don't choose the hard road of having to suffer and even su to submit to someone who won't obey God's word, someone who's not going to do marriage God's way having to hope that someday, somehow, God might use you to win them over. 
This brings us into this next warning, which is the truth, the counsel, the command from 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? Our sixth topic is don't choose to be unequally yoked. This instruction seems super easy until you've already fallen for Mr. or Miss Wrong, right? It's, it's super easy to be blinded by emotions, by attraction in the moment. When you think someone is, is Mr. or Miss Right, you're gonna fall for every word that they say. Every empty promise, they're, they're gonna jump through every hoop that you want them to, and you're stuck once you say yes, even if they don't believe, so don't choose that hard road. But if that's already the reality of your marriage, there is still hope. 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16 tells us, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, and now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. And if a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So this is a very similar principle as to the, the husband who's disobedient to God, um, that we would be willing to suffer and strive for the, the sake of an unbelieving spouse, for their salvation for their sanctification, to be the Christ-like example of love and willing sacrifice in their life. But again, it's, it's no easy road, which is why we're warned ahead of time, don't be unequally yoked. It's like only one ox doing the work while the other one's dragging behind, pulling you down, pulling in the other direction. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult, but God can redeem even that hard road. He's gonna strengthen you to endure, he's gonna give us strength by his spirit but he tells us not to choose such a marriage. So don't choose to be unequally yoked. Christ only endured the cross because there was no other way that we can be saved. That's why he pleaded with the Father to remove the cup if there was any other way whatsoever. But he loves us so much that he willingly went to that cross. He suffered for our sake to pay for our sin. He laid down his perfect life so we can live and he rose to life as proof of his promise so that we can have eternal life if we believe upon him as Lord. We can't save an unbelieving spouse, but we can let Christ shine through us. We can give them the gospel in word and in the way that we live and love. We can pray, we can point them ever toward their need for Jesus' great gift of grace. We can show them how much we cherish Christ, how much he loves us, but it's gonna take strength, his strength. Sadly, the, the unbelieving world often tells us to just give up, give in, quit get a divorce. And many who either choose to be unequally yoked or who surrender to Christ later in life and find themselves unequally yoked just want a way out. They want any way out of a marriage where they have to taste some of the suffering that Christ so willingly endured. Some look at 1 Corinthians 7.15 to see a permissible escape. It tells us, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. Some think, if my husband or wife leaves, departs, abandons, then I'm finally free but you shouldn't make an unbelieving spouse so miserable that they leave. Um, our seventh topic is don't sabotage your marriage. Love is, is long-suffering. In, in any marriage, we should submit to long-suffering and love. Look at verse eight through 16 in our text in 1 Peter three. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So Peter writes that this direction is for all of you, all of us. So it certainly applies to any that are suffering through unequally yoked marriages but it also applies to all of us in general. In verse nine, he says, don't return evil for evil. Don't fight fire, for fire with fire. Don't return reviling for reviling. Instead, instead, what are we supposed to return? Blessing for evil. 
Don't bite back, don't bark back. It's not gonna make anything better, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. We're called to be better than that. We're, we're called to turn away from evil and instead do good. To bless, to pursue peace, to be tender-hearted and courteous. That's what our text says. Consider Jesus' response when he was reviled. He's our perfect example, right? In Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That should be our heart when we're wounded by our spouse, asking for forgiveness, praying for them. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Here we read that God sees everything. So verse 12, pray and trust rather than being afraid or troubled. He sees when you suffer in righteousness. He hears your prayers per verse 12. He's against those who are doing evil. So don't be afraid, don't be troubled, pray. Pray for forgiveness, pray for consequences, pray for conviction, pray for whatever it takes so that they would come to repentance and embrace grace. Pray that God would save and sanctify and don't give up. Don't sabotage your marriage, fight for it. Our eighth topic is that marriage is a lifetime bond that we choose. Aside from making Christ Lord, again, it's the most important decision that we're going to make, which is why Peter wisely addresses marriage immediately after growth and grace. Marriage should be a wonderful, strengthening, refining, beneficial, permanent bond. Think of a welder carefully and artfully permanently bonding two pieces of metal together. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He's trying to build something better and more useful than either individual part. Other times, our marriages may seem as bad as, as the bond of a lifetime prison sentence, right? You can laugh each, at each other, but the truth is that this is a really hard reality for some. And if that's your reality, remember that God is more than able to redeem for our good. The point here is that marriage is designed by God as a lifetime bond. It's two people choosing to be joined by God, intended to be permanent like a weld. How do you separate a weld? It's destructive. You got to tear it apart. You got to torture it apart. You got to cut it. You got to rip it. It's intended to be permanent. Even if you do separate two welded pieces of metal, they're still changed. They're permanently altered. No matter how much grinding or polishing you do, if you, if you slice them apart, you're going to see that there's, there's forever a change. That's the nature of such a deep bond. That's marriage God's way. He describes marriage in another way, becoming one flesh. Matthew 19, 6, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. We can't really join flesh together, but I guess doctors kind of can, but God can, can join flesh together. And if the welding illustration isn't really clicking for you, how much worse would it be to rip off an arm or a leg than to pull apart a weld? Way more painful, way more hurtful. That's how God describes the marriage bond. It's likened to the same way that God knits us together in the womb. That's why divorce is so painful. That's why it's so sad. That's why it's hurtful, harmful. Malachi 2, 13 through 16. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with terror, tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But, he did not make them, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed of your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God joins man and woman as one. So who are we to tear apart what he joins? He designed marriage. He intends it to be permanent. He says that he hates divorce. Breaking the marriage bond that God established is always going to be painful. It's always going to involve tears, weeping, crying. He hates divorce. He hates all the treachery that leads up to it. The betrayal, the pain, the damage that it inflicts on husbands, on wives, on children. There's nothing good about tearing apart what God has joined together. But when the marriage bond has already been broken, you have to choose again. 
you got a choice to make. So in studying marriage God's way, we've, we've got to address how the sin and treachery of abandonment and adultery can tear apart the lifetime marriage bond that God desires. Abandonment is when a husband or wife departs, when they leave, when they take off entirely. 1 Corinthians 7.15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under the bondage, under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So this is the tearing apart of God's marriage bond by true intentional abandonment. This is when a husband or wife unilaterally leaves, um, and while God still hates the destruction inflicted by such a departure, the one who is abandoned is no longer under the marriage bond. A way of, another way of understanding is that abandonment is like a de facto divorce without even the decency of paperwork. So you leave without even filing anything, you're, you're gone. Um, and to be very clear, God, God hates it when believers abandon their families even more. First Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So that's, that's abandonment. Um, God also hates the brutal betrayal of adultery, which is sexual unfaithfulness, which is why Jesus said in Matthew 5.32, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So adultery is always a horrible betrayal that inflicts brutal damage to a marriage. And sometimes God shows us that the hurt, the heartache of that betrayal can be beyond restoration. So when the marriage bond has already been broken, you, you have a choice to make. God wants to heal. He's still for your marriage. He wants to wipe away your tears. He wants to mend your broken heart. He wants to heal and soothe and restore, no matter how horrible that betrayal is. But he also understands that there are some hurts that can't be healed this side of heaven. At the same time, Jesus willingly went to the cross to forgive all our sins, no matter how bad, and we're supposed to forgive as he forgives. But he also understands that it's, it's gonna take his supernatural strength, his Holy Spirit-powered healing, to be able to recover from the incredibly deep wounds, from the scarring that come from tearing apart hearts and lives that he's knitted together. But he can and he will heal if we'll let him. So just, yeah, when, when things get really difficult when they get extremely tough. God is fighting for fruitful marriages. He's, when the hurt seems beyond unbearable, um, if you can bear it in his strength, as he holds you close, close, as he strengthens you by his spirit, give him the chance to heal. Because marriage is intended to be a lifetime bond that we get to choose. All right, verse 15, I'm wrapping up here. Michelle's throwing books at me. All right, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks, asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So to sanctify God in our hearts is to set him apart. It's to show that our hope is in Christ, to make him our focus, to make him our strength, even amid much long suffering to not only explain our heartfelt hope in him, but to show how much we hope in him, even in the midst of evil. This is how we're supposed to answer revilers, those who falsely accuse, those who defame, even when we're showing Christ-like conduct. Yes, even within marriage, we're to answer meekly, not weakly, fearfully, respectfully, as Jesus demonstrated, which we can really only do if we have a good conscience, right? If we know that we're wrong and they're calling us out, then that's a whole different thing. But if we're doing as he instructs, then our hope is that our revilers, those who are falsely accusing us in the end, are gonna be right, rightly ashamed. If our conduct is good, if it's Christ-like, what just cause do they have to revile us? None. So stand strong in the power of his might, submit to long suffering for his sake, and then explain why you're willing to endure what you wrongfully reviled. Within a hard marriage, here's what this defense may look like or sound like. And maybe I'm not such a great communicator, so <laughs> bear with me here. I'm praying that God will forgive you for treating me like this, or I love you, I forgive you because God has forgiven me and wants to forgive you too, or I'm not arguing because I trust that God's going to make you who you ought to be. All right, maybe not that last one, but... All right, the bottom line, our hearts should be the same as God's, right? We should want 
them to see to receive salvation. We, we should be fighting for them, not against them. The, what greater cause is there than the salvation of an unsaved spouse? Verse 17, for it is better, for is it better, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. The, I can't teach this in depth, but... God is going, the, the gist of it is that God is going to incredibly great lengths to save, to rescue, to redeem. Look at Christ's long-suffering sacrifice for the sake of, of making way of, the way of salvation. Look at the lifelong effort that God asked Noah to make for the sake of eight souls. How much more should we be willing to suffer, to endure, even wrongly, to participate in Jesus' saving work, right? Would wouldn't we want to, like, what, what wouldn't we endure for the sake of saving our, our unsaved spouse's soul? Only God can save, but we can show him the way. We can let our lives point to him. So show them that you love them, that your greatest prayer is that they're going to love Jesus as you do, and then let him use you to point them to salvation. All right, so now we get to baptism. We get to the continual washing, the ongoing sanctification process. Verse 21, last page. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So faith in Jesus as Lord is the only thing that saves us, his grace, not baptism. But baptism is our outward expression of that faith. It's telling, it's showing that we want to live for him as Lord, that we're dead to our old self, our desire for sin, that we want him to sanctify us, to make us more like him. But he's the one that saves, not us. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And this should be our great hope and prayer for, for our husbands, for our wives. Absolutely. Salvation, baptism for the unbelieving, but for all of us, right? A lifetime of sanctification by the Holy Spirit. And God uses marriage to grow us in grace, to refine us, to teach us. It's, it's a tool to sanctify us, to help us better understand his relationship with us. If you guys, if you're married, you know how much God uses your marriage to sanctify you. Um, I, I didn't really understand how selfish I was, how selfish I still am until I got married. But now Rebecca lets me know every day. No, um, <laughs> really, it's, it's the spirit who convicts me, right? And he does a way better job of it than our husbands or wives could ever do, right? He cuts right, right there, just as God intends. The truth is that we can, we can learn much, we can grow much through marriage God's way if we'll hear, if we'll heed, if we'll learn and remember and then actually apply his word. So if, if you've been called to marriage, it's going to benefit you. It's going to grow you greatly. Um, and it's also going to honor and glorify God greatly at the same time, too.